Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Is it a cryptid like Bigfoot? Is it a ghost? What is the Kinderhook Blob? Hello and welcome to the 796th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno coming to you from WON, AM and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben and that was Paul and today we bring you a new guest on a very unusual topic. And if you'd like to join us, you can call us uh, from anywhere at 401-766-1240 or you can email Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com. Coming to us via Skype today is Bruce G. Hollenbeck, a prolific novelist, screenwriter, producer, and much more. His special interest is classic horror. A resident of his native Kinderhook, New York, Bruce also writes about the local monsters, such as the Kinderhook creature and the Kinderhook blob, the subject of our discussion today. As far as he knows, he and his cousin were the first eyewitness to the blob, in 1962, and it has since been seen by a number of other people. So, Bruce Hallenbeck, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you. Nice to be here. Oh, well, it's great to have you with us. And I guess we'll we'll get started um, at the very beginning, because that is a very good place to start. So tell us about your first encounter with the Kinderhook Blob in 1962, and what do you think it could be? <laughs> well, that's a loaded question. Um, yeah, we like to do that yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was uh, nine or ten years old, and my cousin Sherry and I were playing up in the woods uh, behind my grandparents' house, which is actually where I live now. Um, and there's a lot of woods. There's about seven acres of land and um, in Kinderhook, New York, which is the home of the Headless Horseman, at least one of the homes, just to preface it. Um, so I was always kind of into these things, but... Uh, this was the first experience I ever had that I would call paranormal. Um, so it was just before sunset. My cousin Sherry and I were playing in the woods. I don't know what we were doing up there. And all of a sudden I heard uh, a uh, high-pitched whistling sound. And I turned around and there was this big pine tree. And beyond, looking out from behind the pine tree was this white, amorphous shape um, it was kind of bluish white actually and if I could compare it to anything it would be like a, the bulbous head of Casper the Friendly Ghost um, oh. but it didn't have any eyes there were, you know, I say it was looking at me because I felt it was and I felt it was a head of some kind but it, it had no eyes, no features no face really um, so I said to my cousin Sherry Let's get out of here. There's something there. And, of course, you know, we ran like crazy, and uh, that's what kids do. Uh, well, fast forward a couple of years, uh, and uh, another witness to the blob was my boyhood chum, Jerome Miller, who uh, he was, he and I were about 12 years old, and he was down in the woods. Uh, I think he was. He was uh, building some, like, shelter or something, or a lean-to or something like that. He, he was always building, like, uh, uh, you know, tree houses and things of that sort. Anyway, he was down there, and I was up in, in my grandparents' house. Um, 
And sometime in the afternoon, he came running up to the house, and his face was white as a sheet. And he said he had just seen something down in the woods that he called a blob. He said it it kind of floated down the hill towards him. He said it was this big, you know, sort of round, almost bell-like shape. And uh, it scared him so much that he jumped over this pond that was down in the woods, and the pond was about six feet wide. So that's, <laughs> you know, for a 12-year-old, that's a pretty good sprint. Um, so <laughs> at first I thought he was pulling my leg, but uh, seeing the look on his face, I realized he was really scared by something. So uh, we'd probably seen too many uh, old horror movies at that point. So I said, okay, we'll, we'll grab some weapons and go down there. So I got a pitchfork, and he got, I don't know, a shovel or something. <laughs> you know, we're going down there with uh, very adolescent bravado. And um, walking along in the woods, and this is in broad daylight, mind you, um, suddenly he stopped, and he pointed ahead, up up in a tree and I looked up and there was this white shape up in the tree that we both could see and he was once again he had that really frightened look on his face and of course you know we had our weapons and everything but being 12 years old I said okay let's get out of here (laughs) once again you know so brave Uh, so we ran and we didn't go back for a while and of course by the time we did go back there was nothing around um, so th- those are actually my first two experiences with a blob. As far as what that could be, you know, in in the book, uh, which I'm going to plug, The Kinder Creature and Beyond, A Personal Reminiscence, um, I don't profess to know. You know, I don't claim to know what any of these things are. Um, all I know is that I've had some experiences throughout my life that I can't explain, and uh, that was certainly the first and, and the most one of the most interesting ones, I think. Um, but the story of the blob continues. Uh, do you want me to go forward to the next few sightings? Or? Sure. Um, about, let's see, I'm trying to think how long this, about 20 years, or 15 years later or so, roughly around 1987, I think, Two of my cousins uh, were down in the woods in pretty much the same area where, you know, Jerome and I and my cousin Sherry and I had seen this entity or whatever you want to call it. Um, they were down in the woods one afternoon and uh, they had a lean-to down there and they were just goofing around and suddenly they saw something coming down the hill in the same manner that my friend Jerome had seen something. Um, but here's, here's the really interesting part to me. My cousin Barry, who is Protestant, and this is important, <laughs> uh, saw a bell-shaped object coming down the hill. Uh, my cousin Russell, who is Catholic, saw the Virgin Mary coming down the hill. <laughs> uh, being, you know, 14 or 15 years old, they, they took off just like we had when we were kids. But it's interesting that it passed on to the next generation, and I, I don't believe I'd ever even told them about the blob. So they were not expecting anything like this. Um, my cousin Barry drew a picture of what he had seen, and it was, you know, bell-shaped object that he said floated down the hill. 
my cousin Russell was just, he was convinced that he saw the Virgin Mary. Um, the only thing that indicates to me is that whatever this thing is, it seems to tap into your belief system somehow. And you see maybe what you expected to see. I don't know. I mean, I saw something ghost-like. To me, it was ghost-like, like a cartoon ghost. But then again, I was a fan of Casper the Friendly Ghost cartoons when I was a kid, so maybe I saw what I expected to see. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But that, you know, that to me was a very interesting point. I think it's a fascinating point. Uh, ben, I don't know if you want to comment on that because... Uh, <laughs> Oh, you, read, you read my mind, Father. Um, yeah, that is really interesting because uh, as uh, we've kind of been exploring the the paranormal over the years, I personally um, have spent a lot of time thinking about the human experience of the paranormal because it's really important. I think a lot of people like to focus on 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 the mechanics of it. Oh, where does Bigfoot go? Why doesn't he leave tracks or, or samples or hair or, you know, why is it that Nessie is so hard to find? And instead, or like, oh, well, it could be the multiverse. But th there's a really important part of it, which is the human portion of the equation. And in, in that, I think, lies the answer to, to a lot of, of the problems. And I think it's really interesting that belief, sy belief system does, does indeed play a really huge part because context is everything. You know, and we only know what we experience. So, you know, our, our, all of our, our reality is based entirely on our personal interpretations. So there's an objective reality that we know is there, but we all experience it subjectively. You know, it's like uh, you're, you're inside a house and you see a shimmering figure. Aha, a ghost. You're outside and you see a shimmering figure and there's, you know, a bulb of light above it. Aha, an alien. And... You know, I, I do, I do believe you're, you're, you're onto something by saying that, you know, it, it's, what we experience is, is based on what we walk into the experience with. What you put in is what you get out of it. So it's, right. it, I, I think that's, that's really interesting. And I, I think such an odd phenomena with so many different interpretations is so interesting. And especially the variation in all of them too. So I mean, mm -hmm. have have there been any any long lasting changes with anybody that's experienced it, or is it just kind of like, oh, that happened and we moved on from it? Well, I think uh, everybody I know who's experienced it has has never forgotten it. I you know I I don't think they're likely to because it's such a strange uh, encounter that uh, you know they're going to carry this with them to their graves. Um, I don't know that it's it's actually changed anyone's life except uh, it, it becomes a really colorful tale to tell your grandkids, you know, and when you get older, I guess. Um, now, that was by no means the end of the story either. Um, it seems like the blob isn't encountered very often, but it seems to be encountered maybe once a generation or once every half a generation. I don't know. Because about... Um, Ten years or so after that, uh, my father was out on his tractor uh, in the field behind his house. And uh, this, again, was in the daytime. And he said he, uh, I don't know, if he, I don't think he said he heard anything. 
but you know the tractor was noisy anyway but something flew over his head and he said it was a big white shape that uh, flew over and then went uh, to the horizon by the, over the woods there and then just disappeared into the woods somehow um, and interesting the way he described it and again this is, this goes back to uh, cultural expectations I suppose uh, I don't know if you ever heard of a shmoo <laughs> but uh, that was a some sort of entity or creature that was in Lil Abner for one thing Lil Abner comics and it was always described as this weird white entity that lived in the woods uh, Never, I was never really clear on what it was supposed to be whether it was a spirit or what but some sort of white blob-like thing. Um, so, uh, you know, I started calling it the shmoo after that because that's, that's the way my father described it. Um, and I thought for a long time that that was, that was going to be the last sighting because I hadn't heard anything for years. And then, strangely enough, somebody uh, has come up with a Kinderhook blob uh, website or... Uh, a blog blog, a blob blog, as I call it. Um, I don't know who this person is. I, I've never found out, but it's a very interesting website. And on this site, he has a, uh, a very recent encounter with uh, the Kinderhook blog by two gentlemen who I've been trying to get in touch with. Um, they were students of my uh, sister as a school teacher. Uh, but I've been trying to reach them for a while, and they haven't gotten back to me. Anyway, they were walking around in the woods in Kinderhook somewhere. I'm not clear on where it was exactly, but uh, this was in the evening. I guess they were teenagers, and uh, they saw, well, first they heard the whistling sound that I had heard when I was a kid, and then they saw this big white blob fly over them, and, uh, you know, scare the heck out of them. And, of course, they, they ran like rabbits. <laughs> and who wouldn't? Um, so that was in 2017. That was only five years ago. So, again, it seems to take its time being seen, but once every 15, 20 years or so, it pops up. So I'm kind of hoping that uh, I'll live long enough to see it again. <laughs> oh, very good. Well, we have a question. Uh, ben, do you have Peter's question, or should I read it? Uh, I can pull it up very quickly. Um, okay. so I was prepared. Um, uh-huh. So Peter writes to us, uh, Bruce, is it possible the Kinderhook blob was simply a mass of industrial waste of some kind? Uh, what, what effects were observed uh, that support or conflict with that idea? Uh, well, I don't, I don't see how that could be. Uh, because industrial waste, at least hopefully, doesn't move. Um, and this, you know, this thing was ambulatory. It would, you know, kind of glide down the hill, uh, or fly over people's heads. So, uh, if that's industrial or toxic waste, I would hope that, uh, somebody's cleaned it up by now, because it sounds pretty dangerous. But, mm. um, no, I, I don't see how it could be anything like that. Um, and it just, what I saw had the appearance of something, uh, for want of a better word, ethereal. Um, like you could sort of see through it. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't completely opaque. It was sort of translucent. 
So whatever that means, I don't know. <laughs> that reminds me of the poltergeist in the uh, Bridgeport poltergeist affair of 1974. Mm-hmm. That that's what they kind of looked like. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I never got the impression that, that it was a, a ghost of a of a dead person. Um, yeah. I never had that feeling. I had I had a feeling it was just something totally unknown, um, mm-hmm. almost like an like an elemental. Yes. Yeah. You, know, uh, you know the spirits of earth, air, fire, and water. I mean, it was always seen in the woods. It was never anywhere near a house. And um, to me, it just seemed like some strange part of nature that we don't understand. Well, as we say, uh, today's paranormal is tomorrow's science. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, I've seen artistic renderings of this. Has any anybody ever gotten a photograph? No. I, you know, I wonder if it would even show up on film. Um, well, that's a, that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> but, is there uh, any hint, hint of this in... First Nations folklore or local history? Well, not not specifically. I mean, um, you know, the Native Americans had plenty of legends about strange entities in the forest. Mostly, though, they were about little people, which I also found very interesting because I had an experience mm. of, of that sort as well. Oh, really? I'm almost, I'm almost embarrassed to say. Um Shall I tell you what that was? Well, we can't let that go. Yes, please. Okay. Um, Well, I was uh, probably in my early 20s, and I was walking out in what we call the back 40 on my grandparents' property. And you notice almost everything takes place there. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was a bright, sunny afternoon, and I saw this guy at the edge of the woods. He had his back to me, and he was digging. He was quite short, and he was <laughs> he was wearing a green shirt and green trousers, and he was digging, just digging in at the edge of the woods, with a little little shovel. <laughs> I thought, okay, this guy is trespassing. I better, <coughs> you know. So I called out to him, and he didn't respond in any way. And then I called out again a couple of times, and he just didn't. He never turned around. So feeling kind of weirded out, I went back into the house and got my grandmother. And I said, there's this guy digging on the property. I don't know who he is. I've never seen him before. He's kind of weird. (laughs) Um, So my grandmother, being the brave soul that she was, uh, and she was. I mean, she she once chased off uh, three uh, deer hunters from the property, all of whom had guns, of course, but all she had was a broom. So, you know. She was <laughs> she was that kind of a person. Um, anyway, uh, we both went out to the field, and we called out to the guy, both of us. And at first he didn't respond, but then he finally turned around and sort of looked at us. But the weird thing was, despite the fact it was a bright, sunny day, we couldn't really make out any features on his face. And then he just turned around and went back to digging. Now, what happened after that uh, is the really strange part to me. We just went back to the house, and I have no idea why we did that. Um, And all I remember is sitting around a few minutes later, maybe 20 minutes later or so, saying, why didn't we come back to the house? Why why didn't we 
stay out there and try to get rid of this guy. And my grandmother said, I don't know. <laughs> so I went back out there, and there was no man there. There was no sign of anybody digging there. And I've often thought over the years, boy, if I can remember where that guy was digging, maybe there's a, there's a buried treasure there or something. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it, you know, for years I thought that's kind of a, you know, it must have been a regular person somehow. But, you know, as time went on, I thought to myself, that's really one of the strangest things that's ever happened to me. Because I remember getting the feeling that I was seeing something I wasn't supposed to see. Yeah. And why we went back to the house, I don't know. I don't remember going back to the house. I just remember us sitting there about 20 minutes later saying, why did we come back here? So it's like there was a little bit of missing time in there. Um, yeah, it was a, a very, of, yeah, go ahead. There's a sort of thing we hear day in and day out. In our book, if it's accurate, we call it a multiverse experience. Yeah. You know, time slips space, especially mm. the guy with no features. And it yeah. almost sounds like the, uh, not, not, not to take our focus off the blob, but uh, almost like a Pukawaji experience. Exactly. Yeah, and very common in uh, this area with the Bridgewater Triangle and also in the Hudson Valley, as I understand it. Yeah, and, and in the book I, I have a whole chapter on, you know, the little people legends yep. and all that. And I, I find it very interesting that they're called Pukwajis by the Native Americans because the old world name for them in, in some areas is Puck. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it just there's so many weird, bizarre twists to to all this that it, that's why I say I really don't have any theories. Uh, all I know is that was a very strange experience and kind of unsettling. Yeah, well, you, you approach it as we do. We uh, report experiences that we've investigated or that have happened to us, and we attempt to put an interpretation on them and the first thing we say is maybe we're wrong and um but you know you, you do the best you can so uh i've heard reports regarding the blob that there are temperature changes and uh high-pitched screeches mm -hmm. that have sometimes been heard is that accurate as far as you know yeah i think uh the only time I heard of a temperature change was in the most recent sighting in 2017 where they said it got colder. Um, I don't re recall that in my case, uh, although it was so long ago, who knows. But certainly the, the whistling sound, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, you know, I've spoken to various paranormal researchers about that sound. And uh, the, the general consensus among some of them is that it's the sound that entities make when they break through from another dimension. I don't know. That's pretty far yeah. out, but uh, but there it is. Um, I don't know. Well, <laughs> anything, anything is possible. Yeah. Okay. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, yeah. What about the uh, proximity of UFOs or other phenomena, or do people even notice that when they have this this experience? <laughs> you mean regarding the blob? Mm, yes. Um, I can't think of any, unless you consider the blob itself to be a, an unknown object. 
<laughs> yes, well, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is described in some cases as floating mm. and uh, tramping. <laughs> is, is, what, what say you about that? Well, I think my, my friend Jerome would say it, was, it wasn't floating so much as walking. He said it walked down the hill toward him. Uh, gliding has been the word I think uh, one of my other cousins used. Um, yeah, it does. It does almost sound like a you know a traditional uh, white sheeted ghost kind of thing. But again, I just I never had that impression that that's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Well, Ben, uh, okay with you. Why don't we take take our mid show break? Sure. <clears throat> You're yeah. listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 uh, AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our great guest, Bruce Hollenbeck, and the Kinderhook Blob, so stick with us. Romeo here, just to say thanks to all who are donating to this year's Milk Fund auction. And it looks like this year's appeal is turning out to be a smashing success. On behalf of the auction committee, I'd like to express my sincere gratitude, of course. We rely on the generosity of all who are donating, especially those who are making cash donations, to allow us to purchase those ever-so-popular gift cards and certificates. If you'd like to help us out, uh, you could send your checks to Milk Fund Incorporated, 985 Park Avenue, here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, with the notation, Milk Fund Auction, on the memo line. Thanks for your help. And may your generosity bring you the blessings of the holiday season. You can depend on us for public service. Owen Radio. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno and WON Radio. And I just wanted to give a shout out to our station manager, Dave Richards. We had a wonderful Christmas dinner on Friday night at the River Falls restaurant. And uh, that's something that Dave does for the entire uh, station staff and the radio show host and uh we got to sit with lou mandeville and his lovely wife uh, lou is the uh, sports guy and uh we had a great conversation so thanks again dave for your generosity and a wonderful evening so let's get back to the blob of kinderhook new york with our good friend bruce hallenbeck uh ben do you have anything on your mind or should i continue well there well i guess um I don't. I don't know. I was going to ask about, more about the whistling because I'm. I don't want to say I'm not not convinced. I do. I do think that that's an in- interesting portion of the phenomena. I'm always fascinated by how how the environment is kind of affected by by all of it. But I, I guess I should do Peter some justice by by finishing uh, his questions because he had question number two on the list, which we already sort of talked about. But um, his his question was um, if there were any other uh, blob cases of note, perhaps outside of Kinderhook or or, or anywhere else in the uh, in the world. You know, I've I've never heard of any exactly like this, uh, which I think is one reason people find it so interesting because it's kind of unique. There, you know, there's actually a uh, a blob trading card, I think, out there. So a Kinder blob trading card, <laughs> uh, which I've seen on online. It's sold on eBay for uh, about thirty dollars or something. Um, <laughs> so there's a there's a lot of interest in this, and I think the reason the the story got around was because um, a few years ago I wrote, I 
uh, wrote a book called Monsters of New York, and I mentioned the blob in that. And uh, I guess whoever has the website, uh, which is called the Kendrick Blob, um, must have read that that book. But um, no, I've, I've never heard of any anything quite like this anywhere else. I mean, I I could be wrong because I I read a lot of paranormal stuff, but I nothing else uh, exactly the same that I recall. Well, uh, I have an experience that seems, from the way you describe it, seems to uh, match that, and I'll tell you about it in a minute. But first, uh, I'd like to have you talk about your books, where people can find out more, Bruce, and and uh, your what, your work, etc. So please go ahead. Okay. Well, um, as far as the book goes, it's sort of started out a couple of years ago, actually during the height of the pandemic. Uh, the people from Small Town Monsters called me up. I, I'm sure you're familiar with that oh, series. Oh, good friends of ours. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Seth Breedlove, and uh, he contacted me and asked me if I would be willing to be interviewed on camera for a documentary they're making uh, called On the Trail of Sasquatch, The Journey. And he was going to cover the Hudson Valley. He was going to cover the Adirondack reports. And, um, yeah, I said fine. So he came to uh, the house here and interviewed me at length, and also my mother and my sister, because they've had some experiences. And, uh, you know, we, we got along famously, and then uh, sometime last year, he asked me if I would write a book about uh, the Kinderhook experiences that I've had, because he's he's fascinated with the Hudson Valley, Seth is. Um, he, uh, he loves the story of the Headless Horseman and all of that. And he really wanted to include that all in a, in a book. So uh, I said, uh, "Yeah, I'd be happy to." And when I when I presented him the idea of kind of making it a, a personal reminiscence, he thought that was a great idea. So um, the book uh, came out in November, and I understand it's it's selling quite well, which is nice to know. You can get it on Amazon, and you can also order it from smalltownmonsters.com directly. Very good. Okay, um, there. I, I have never said this on the air before. I've never written about it because, uh, in the midst of all the other adventures we've had, it kind of <coughs> took a backseat. Hmm. But I was seven years old. I was riding my bike on Sterling Road in East Hartford, Connecticut, where my house was, and uh, there was a uh, sort of an in, in a small industrial building at the end of the street. Uh, owned by the Atlantic Richfield Oil Company. And um, up on the building, on the roof, I saw a white kind of bell-shaped figure. Hmm. And to me, you know, uh, a strict Yankee Ro Roman Catholic kid somehow, uh, it was the Virgin Mary. Really? And, and, and as it happened, uh, there was a priest, uh, my, my brother was a uh, studying for the priesthood at the time, and there was a priest visiting the house, so I, I rushed back, I ran, and I said, I just saw the Virgin Mary, or the Blessed Mother. <laughs> yeah. And they all looked at me, and uh, you know, they thought I was exaggerating, making it up. But <clears throat> it was a white, bell-shaped figure, <laughs> and the priest said, well, what color? I said, was white. Usually it's blue, right? So um, that stuck with me, and the following year, I managed to save $5, a lot of money for that time, 
and I bought a little statue, which I still have, uh, of the Virgin Mary in white, which you didn't see very often. So hmm. th- that kind of stuck with me, and I've, I've never mentioned it before, but uh, one wonders, uh, you know, when, when we get cases of people, a group of people standing there watching the same thing and seeing different things, whether it be a UFO mm-hmm. or some sort of entity or something of that kind. Uh, I think Ben was really right that, you know, that, that we bring, we, we get out of the uh, experience what we bring to it. Yeah. So I think well, that, a very important point. That's a, that's fascinating. That, uh, that uh, is exactly what my cousin said. I mean, uh, he, he he wasn't particularly religious, but he was brought up as a Catholic. And mm-hmm. for him to say that he, he saw the Virgin Mary, that was pretty pretty powerful stuff. Um, <laughs> so it's it's fascinating to me to know that somebody else had that experience as well. Mm-hmm. You know, more or less, uh, I'm saying uh, more or less in the same time period too. Yeah, and for me that would have been about 1960. Okay, yeah. Well, that's that's actually when I first saw it, and my my cousin saw it about fifteen years later. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I I wonder sometimes about like I'm sure you've read Jacques Vallée, no doubt. Oh right? yes, real hero um, of mine. Yeah, mine too, actually. And you know, he talks a lot about the cosmic Joker, and you know what may be behind. Well, like behind the paranormal, uh, what may right. be behind UFO sightings. And that it's not really what people think, or it may not be. It may be something totally beyond our understanding that somehow taps into our unconscious minds or into our uh, religious beliefs and colors what we see. There's something there. There's definitely something strange going on. But what it is kind of depends on us, you know, as, as to what we perceive. And I find that a very interesting idea. Very true. Okay, um, has there any been has there been any attempt at communication during any of these uh, experiences, or people don't stay around long enough to find <laughs> out? Yeah, I think the latter. Uh, you know, especially when you're uh, a youngster, uh, you just you just run. You're not you're not interested in communicating. You're interested in getting out of there. <laughs> yeah, you don't give the live long and prosper sign and say no. How you doing? No. Right. <laughs> ben, you got anything going here? Yeah, so I I guess I I have um have some some sort of follow-up questions. So the last time we that it was seen was was 2017 and you said there was sort of a pattern that that it would, it would appear sort of once every generation. So if you had to take well, a take a swing and yeah. a guess, you you think there's going to be any any sightings in the near future? Well, it seems like you know, once every, I, I'm going to say, 15 years or so. Um, so, you know, maybe in another 10 years there might be a sighting. I don't know. But then again, you have to wonder, is this thing there all the time? Is it in the woods all the time? Or does it pop in from somewhere else? <laughs> or does it require a human being to be in the woods to see it? For it for it to be in existence, really. I mean, it's it gets it gets pretty pretty hairy. But um, I guess if a blob forms in the forest and no one's around to see it, exactly, it's like a blob. <laughs> that, that's right. You got it. 
or else um, it's hanging around in East Hartford, Connecticut sometimes. So, <laughs> so, uh, let's move on in our last few minutes here to talk about other bizarre phenomena you've written about and the, the, your book is full of them in the Hudson Valley. And yeah. you must know our friend Linda Zimmerman. I do. Not, not well, but I've met her a couple of times. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, person after our own hearts. Yeah. So, uh, what other critters have you, uh, <laughs> documented there and which have you had personal experiences with? Well, the most famous, of course, is the Kinder Creature, which is a mm. Sasquatch-like animal, something. Uh, that showed up around 1980 and, uh, there was a flap that lasted two or three years there, which involved my family and, uh, a lot of people around Kinderhook, uh, and also surrounding areas. Um, my grandmother was heavily involved in this. There was, there was a, uh, a television show called PM Magazine that came here in 1981 after my grandmother had a lot of her experiences. And uh, they were the ones who dubbed it the kinder creature. And um, my grandmother's story, it's its uh, fairly long and convoluted. I mean, it starts out uh, a couple of years before the major flap when she started noticing that something was taking her trash bags from the porch and taking them down in the yard, um, untying them and rifling through them and taking out the food stuff. And she thought, well, that's pretty odd because, you know, a raccoon or any animal wouldn't really do that. They wouldn't untie it. They'd just rip it apart. Uh, her neighbor found one of her trash bags stuffed up in a tree. So that was a little odd. But then one morning, um, my grandmother always got up early, and this was around dawn, and she happened to look out the kitchen window, and there was what she said was a large black shape that was just lying there almost in a fetal position as if it was sleeping. And uh, she didn't tell anybody about it at the time because, you know, she was in her 70s. She didn't want people to think she was going cuckoo. Um, so she kept quiet about it until uh, my cousin Barry, the same one who saw the blob, the bell-shaped blob, um, came running up to the house one day terrified that he had, he had seen something down in the woods. He was trapping down in a, an area we call Cushing's Hill, which is uh, swamp land and, and a creek that runs through it. And he said uh, all of a sudden he saw three upright creatures walk across the wood or across the stream that were clacking and grunting and making all kinds of weird sounds. And um, he was so afraid that he... Uh, he just ran out, ran out of the woods and uh, came up to the house, despite the fact he had a baseball bat in in the basket he was carrying. He said that wouldn't have done any good. Um, so you know, I, we we looked around the area. We couldn't find anything, any tracks or anything else. And I was very skeptical at the time that anything like that could be around the Kinderhook area. Uh, I thought, okay, Pacific Northwest, maybe here. I doubt it. But uh, my skepticism gradually got eroded. Uh, there was one time that uh, I had a friend visiting from England, and uh, I was taking her out uh, to walk her home from my grandparents' house. And uh, as soon as we got on the porch, uh, this ungodly noise 
came from the woods. It was like a started out as a shriek or a howl, went into a series of guttural sounds, and kind of died out in a low moan. And she uh, she looked at me and said, "Is that a typical American sound to hear at night?" And I said, <laughs> "Nope, never heard that one before." But it was dark. I was not going to go down in the woods to see what that was at the time. And and at the time, I was still kind of skeptical. But a couple months later, um, something (laughs) uh, came to our house, to my grandparents' house, um, and hung around making weird and crazy noises. And my grandmother said it was like a, a person in terrible agony. Uh, just moaning and groaning and, you know, making all these weird sounds. And she saw the shadow of something in the moonlight, something very tall with long arms. She uh, sat in the house with a hammer. Well, my my cousin Barry uh, came back with his shotgun. And uh, he stood on the porch and he shot up into the air and there was no sound, but then he shot up into the air again, and this time flame kind of came out of the barrel of the gun, and the thing screamed and ran away. Although he thought there might have been more than one. He thought there maybe were two of them. Um, so that was kind of the beginning of that whole flap. And uh, many people had experiences later on. Uh, they uh, There was a woman who saw it crossing the road in front of her. She said it was about seven to eight feet tall, reddish-brown hair or fur, uh, moved very gracefully, looked like a highly evolved ape. And there was a man fishing who looked across the creek, and he saw this creature staring at him, and he described it down to the last detail, even said the fingernails were black. And then it just kind of turned and walked away into the woods. So there were a lot of experiences like that, and... um, it uh, went on for a couple of years, and it kind of slowly died out, or died down anyway. Um, and we haven't seen anything of it or heard much of it uh, in the last 15 or 20 years or so. But for a while there, it was, it was kind of like finding out that Santa Claus was real. You know? <laughs> it was yeah. like, uh, yeah, wow. That's a good analogy. <laughs> uh, in our Pennsylvania case, uh, we've had lots of, uh, two of us, including me, have had uh, Bigfoot encounters there, mm. much to our shock. And uh, there were always uh, strange lights in the sky. We have neighborhood meetings with uh, 30, 35 people, and almost all of them have seen strange lights and, and a Sasquatch-like creature. Mm. Uh, but in any case, uh, there were um, uh, many cases that the Linda Zimmerman described to us when she's been on the show mm-hmm. about... Um, Things coming out of the ground, uh, particularly UFO-like lights or, yeah. or blobs or whatever, coming up out of the ground in your vicinity, yeah. and maybe going up to the sky or going off through the woods uh, in Pennsylvania as well. There are many lights close to the ground, and mm-hmm. I can't help but wonder if there's some similarity to what um, you've described as far as blob cases are concerned. And that, that we, we put labels on things that we can understand. Right. You know, and uh, whether that's the reality is another question. So what say you, uh, could other things have occurred, such as these lights uh, on the ground or coming up out of the ground, uh, that, that if you had seen them or someone who had seen the blob uh, would interpret it as such or just, 
you, you know, you know, I don't know yeah. if I'm explaining myself, but if no, you know I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Um, actually, there have been other things we don't know about. I actually did have an experience once uh, that combined the two. Um, this was during the Bigfoot flap. I think it was about 1982 or so, and uh, I was coming home from my job. I worked in radio at the time, mm. and uh, it was in the evening, and I decided for whatever reason, to go over to this place we call Bigfoot Bridge, which is where some tracks were found underneath. Um, I didn't have a camera with me. I didn't have a tape recorder. I wasn't ready for anything. I just thought I'd go over there and just kind of sit in my car and see if I heard anything. And so, you know, I went, out, I went to the bridge, and I turned off the lights, and I just sat there. And uh, nothing happened for quite a while, and I, I thought, well, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to count to 100. By, you know, if nothing happens by the time I get to 100, I'm going to leave. So, you know, I got up to about 89 or so. And at that point, I heard from this group of trees that crossed the road. It wasn't really a forest, but just a bunch of trees. Um, the sound of, sounded like two chattering monkeys, <laughs> only really big monkeys. And almost as if they were trying to converse with each other. And I wanted to get out of the car and see what they were. I really did. But my legs wouldn't cooperate. And <laughs> by the time I got up the nerve to get out of the car and cross the road, the noises had stopped. But almost at the instant they stopped, this white light came up from behind the trees. And it went up into the sky and just went out like a like somebody turning out a light bulb. And that's another experience that I just can't explain, but there it is. I wish I wish I'd had a camera or a tape recorder or something. I wish there I had a witness besides myself, but there it is. I as Charles Ford did, I offer it and it's up to you. <laughs> mhm. Uh Ben, did you have something else because I had a suggestion for Bruce? I, I do I do well I I sort of have a thing I I think it's interesting because it's it's not the the first time that that we we've heard that there's you know these these orbs of light that are associated with Bigfoot phenomena you know mm. our our uh, our Pennsylvania Triangle case has has that almost like a like you know I don't want to say a precursor but it, it sort of happens simultaneously and I think it's really interesting that. All these other, all these other phenomena are sort of happening all around Kinderhook, and in a couple mm-hmm. of other different. It, it, and it's 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 not to be dismissed. I, I think there's something that connects all of it, and um, whether it's it's something to do with you know, something as, as mundane as you know geotechnics of the land, or mm-hmm. or perhaps even something to do with. Just the just just the place in and of itself, you know, the sto- stories of of being one of the places of the head, headless horseman probably, you know, that that means something to me anyway, because yeah. fo- folklore and stories are are the way in which we order our reality, because there's really mm-hmm. four different ways we order reality: music, art, um, language, and ritual. And so through language, we try to order these things, and so through these stories. That we all sort of are participants in, especially in the story of the paranormal. It's it's important to me personally that there's all these other things that are happening around the same time. So it's not just the blob and these wild men and these lights are all separate things. They're all a part of the same story. Mm. Yeah. No, I think that's true. 
And uh, I, I like the attitude you guys have because you're very open-minded, but at the same time you're you're also exploring as as Benza or that that human element, uh, which I think does have a lot to do with it. I know in, in my case, it seemed like my grandmother was almost a, kind of a psychic in a way. Maybe she drew these things to her somehow. I don't know. Um, because since she's been gone, there haven't been as many strange occurrences. There have hmm. been a few. But, um, you know, it, it, I, I often wonder about what the human element is and, you know, what we bring to the table, so to speak. Okay. Uh, well, Bruce, I had a, uh, two suggestions, actually, for something for you to take a look at if you feel inspired to do so or, or to suggest to others who are researching these things. One is the Bouget anomaly, which is a well-known gravitational anomaly. Uh, matter of fact, the engineers use it to find oil and gas deposits. Mm. We've applied that to much of our research in what we refer to as the flap areas, including the Hudson Valley. And I think you will find that the Bouget anomaly, which actually changes gravity, it lightens it as you walk downhill, which is something you wouldn't expect, mm. uh, presence of light elements or something like that. Uh, we find that to be very strong in the areas which have the most paranormal activity in these flap areas, as we call them. Mm-hmm. The Hudson Valley is included. Now, uh, we have not done um, strictly uh, local research on that anomaly, but it is present in the Hudson Valley. So, mm-hmm. so something you might want to look at, and why? Because Einstein uh, postulate, well, theorized that uh, gravity changes space and time, can bend it. Right. So whether that's a strong enough anomaly to do, but we find it in every single area we research. Uh-huh. So that's just something you look at. The second is the use of music in research. Now, in the Pennsylvania case in May of 2019, I just happened to get the notion into my head, and out, and I was up with the lights off outside. Uh, wasn't quite dark yet. But it was in my favorite research, uh, kind of stakeout spot on top of the hill, uh, in that vicinity. And, uh, we, I, I played some music from, um, the American composer, uh, Morton Lauridson, uh, who writes in several languages. Some of it is liturgical, but it's very haunting. And as soon as I started to play it, all these lights started to flash around my truck. <laughs> and then later on that evening, we went down, the group of us included, uh, from Small Town Monsters, uh, Alexander Petikoff, mm. and uh, we had a UFO sighting, which MUFON has called uh, one of the two best they've ever seen, because we got the whole thing on video. Really? And uh, I, whether the music had anything to do with that, I don't know, but but it's a, an experiment that you or someone else might want to try. That, that Those are just some thoughts. That's very interesting. I, I was not familiar with the, the music idea before. Um, wow. Yeah, that's... Uh, what was the uh, UFO like that you saw? Uh, well, that's on YouTube. I can send you the link. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was uh, like a, a crystal clear sky, uh, sort of a cloud-like uh, formation with a solid object coming out of it, 
coming across the sky. It was almost three minutes long, and then the object disappeared into it again. Uh, our one of our ideas that this could be a a portal or an intersect point because mm-hmm. things are always coming and going in this area. So I, I'll I'll send you the link. Yeah, I'd love to see that. that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, tell us once more about your books and where people can find out more, and uh, we'll have to wrap it up. Okay. Uh, the book is The Kinder Creature and Beyond, A Personal Reminiscence, and uh, you can find it at Amazon and uh, also at smalltownmonsters.com. Very good. Well, great discussion, Bruce. I think we found a kindred spirit, kindred yes. spirit, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And. Uh, We'll certainly be in touch off the air, and uh, stick with us if you can as we do our announcement. Ben, uh, take it away. Sure thing. Uh, look for us at the New England Parafest in Kittery, Maine. That's on April 22nd, 23rd, and 2023. Uh, that event will kick off the week before that on this show on April 16th when the event headliners will appear with us on a panel. And uh, we'll be at the Para Expo 2023 aboard the USS Salem at Quincy, Massachusetts, May 19th, 21st. We'll be among the speakers and we'll broadcast live from the ship, we hope, on Sunday, May 21st. Other events for 2023 for which we or I will be present include the Exeter UFO Festival in September and the Arizona Dowsers Conference in October. Then you can also visit our show website that's behindtheparanormal.com where you can find over 1,100 hours of our regular shows and special broadcasts since 2008 from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on WOON AM and FM. Also, you can hear many of these broadcasts on the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So download our show app. It doesn't do a lot, but uh, what do you want for nothing? Uh, it's free at BehindTheParanormal.com, and uh, it'll put you in touch with our recorded shows from many years past. And browse our books along with those of our guest co-hosts at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com again, where you can also find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and how to book us. Our uh, website has a charity page with links to several good causes we have adopted, including Hope for Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, that's my favorite, and the the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, the Sisterhood of Ground Zero, and most recently, the Western Kentucky Tornado Relief Fund. So what do we have for next week there, Ben? Well, uh, we have some, some fun holiday treats in the oven, uh, which... It's really not much, from us anyway. Uh, next week, December 25th, <laughs> it's uh, it's a holiday, and we are being preempted by the local Christmas concerts here in the Blackstone Valley. On uh, January 1st, we'll rebroadcast show number 265 from September 25th, A New Mythology of Death in the Paranormal. 965. Did I say two? Or did yep. I s- oh, I don't know why I said two. Maybe because I was looking you're at the 25. You're harking after your long-lost youth. Ah, yes, I am. Sorry, 965 from September 25th, uh, A New Mythology of Death and the Paranormal with Joshua Cutchen. Uh, and we'll be back live on January 8th with the great Murray Silver, who hasn't been on with us in quite some time, actually. No. We leave you today with a rather dark thought from none other than American author Stephen King. Monsters are real and ghosts are real, too. They live inside us and sometimes they win. 
I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. And Merry Christmas to all. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.